verses 12 through 20. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does the shepherd not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it's not the will of the Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. For where two or three gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Truly, today's passage is one that seems to have been a response to someone asking, Lord, what do we do when someone has done us wrong? And Jesus answers. It's at this point in the gospel that we've been told that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And every encounter after this seems to be saying to us, if you're coming with me, if you're going to follow me from this point on, this is what you're going to need to expect. This is what you're going to be asked to do and expected to do. Now the reality of what Jerusalem would mean for Jesus, it must have made him feel that every word he needed to say needed to count. Every lesson. Every prayer, every little detail mattered now. Perhaps more than at any other time. He knew that Jerusalem was soon to come. Every conversation is important now. And we get in these stories words from Jesus stirred by the reality of a cross. And today it seems Jesus wants us to know how to handle things when... Sin puts our relationships in jeopardy. When we've done harm to one another, what do we do now? He's talking to his disciples, but Matthew is also talking to the church and to you and me specifically. Jesus knows that from time to time, what we know, that we do harm to one another. We fall short in our actions or our inactions or in our words that we use. We do it with those that we love the most, and we do it with those that we do not know at all. We readily confess, and we have today, considering Holy Communion, that we fall short and that we need grace to fall on us, but we sometimes also must remember that our confessions and our falling shorts, well, it does harm to our relationships at times. Sometimes we carry the hurts of these things for a long time, maybe even a lifetime. 
and we can carry them for so long, the harms done to us, that we can forget who or what actually hurt us and only know the hurt that remains. There are a lot of ideas in our world these days about ideas of how do we deal with each other when we have sinned against each other. Some of us learn to pretend that, well, whatever happened, well, it didn't really happen. Or it wasn't that important. We try to help each other. and We say things like, well, don't let it bother you. Get over it. Let it go. Now, this may be sound advice from time to time. In fact, that person who cut you off in traffic, we can probably let that go, right? Takes a while, though, doesn't it? But when we ignore the hurts, when we ignore the harm that we can do sometimes and we refuse to address them, it only leads to hardened hearts, perpetuations of harms, diminished sense of worth even. Some sins and harms must be addressed. And there is a message here for our world today that there are struggles that we're dealing with and we need to address them. We can no longer ignore, ignore them. On the other end of the spectrum, we can choose to be vengeful if we want to. And we can be so intolerant that every small mistake, we can turn into that proverbial making a mountain out of a molehill saying true. We can get comfortable at questioning people's character, defining people by that one thing they did a long time ago. And we can even begin to feel free to speak ill of those who have done harm. And when we exist in a world where we can do harm and with each other and either walk away from it, avoid it, or seek retribution, it can create what C.S. Lewis once called a, a living hell. I know some of you have been studying some of his books recently, and he once wrote a book called The Great Divorce that I was reminded of um, because of that, actually. There he writes that hell is like a vast gray city, inhabited only on its outer edges, with rows and rows of empty houses in the middle, because everyone who once lived in those homes quarreled with the neighbor, moved to another place, quarreled with that neighbor, and then eventually you have empty streets and empty houses left behind. In other words, if we choose to continually walk away or dismiss each other because of our hurts, eventually we will all live by ourselves. And that, Lewis says, is how hell can grow so quickly. <laughs> Empty at the center and inhabited only on the edges because everyone in it chose distance instead of confrontation as a solution. Jesus once said that he came to draw people to his light but they chose the darkness, and maybe this is what he had in mind when he said those words. Considering Jesus was about to face the cross, we might remember that he is about to be abandoned by the very ones to which he speaks here today. The very world that he came to redeem and rescue and offer eternal life will turn its back on him. And he would have had every reason to dismiss his mission as a lost cause, to leave us to our own ways, but he did not. Instead, he decides to tell the disciples, now, you're going to have to be ready. You're going to have to do a lot of forgiving. There's a lot of reconciling that's going to need to take place. And let me tell you how we're going to do that. 
I felt the need this week to quote a, a small book that was written, quite frankly, I've not read all of it, but parts of it. It's written by Robert Fulgham. It's called Everything I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, Uncommon Thoughts on Common Things. One of the things that we teach children in kindergarten is to work things out themselves, right? If a student comes to a teacher complaining that another child has not sharing or has taken a toy, something like that, the best thing to say is, okay, then you two need to go work it out. It really is a good lesson. And it's essentially what Jesus is saying here. When someone sins against you, whether they know it or not, go to them. Work it out. Don't go to someone else. Go to them in private. Keep it between you two. You two work this out. And he seems to say that I will be with you, but I can't do this for you. You need to go. You need to work it out. And we might say, well, yes, Jesus, I went, and, but they wouldn't listen to me. Well, Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing some here, then ask a couple of friends to go with you and, and let them help you work it out. Now, I think we can, we can assume that he did not mean take someone who's going to take up for you. I think he assumed that we're going to take those who value relationships and, and want to help us truly work out and mend what is broken. Forgiveness. And grace, mending relationships, it is hard work. There's nothing easy about it. It's hard because sometimes trying to make things right, well, things get worse before they get better, right? But the first part of this scripture passage shows us that every person, every relationship, everyone is worth chasing after. Likewise, every mistake, every hurt, every broken relationship is worth healing. We are all the shepherd sometimes. We're all the 99 sheep at other times. We might even be the lost one at some point. But this is how the church is supposed to do life together. We don't do things the way the world does things. We don't avoid hard conversations and we don't make them harder than they need to be. And these approaches of the world will only lead to us abandoning everyone at some point. Anyone who has ever fallen short, and that's all of us, right? There's a study on forgiveness done a few years ago, and it revealed that most of us find it easier to believe that God can forgive us than other people can forgive us. Yet if we can remember that one of the main works of the church one of the things that we're called to do is be a place of reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness. It is our hallmark. It is what the church is called to be. And when we are that, we stand to show the world a better way. Anything less than this, if we take Jesus seriously, does nothing less than dismantle the body of Christ. Now, this is all good and well. But there are some hard questions that we must answer. What happens when people refuse to take responsibility for the harms they do, even if we try to get help from good people? What happens if we, people don't listen to us? And what do we do when people keep doing harm? When Jesus says, not only take two or three, he goes on to say, well, if they're still not listening, take the whole church with you. Have you all done that yet? <laughs> and then he says, and if then if they're not listening... 
You can treat them as if they were tax collectors or Gentiles. So, this sounds like that Jesus is going to let us off the hook, right? That we can exhaust all avenues and say, okay, finally we can just be rid of this and we can let them go their merry way. I'm afraid not. It's unfortunate that sometimes in the church we use this passage to do the opposite of what Jesus is calling for us to do. The church has a history of excommunicating and sending folks away and saying to them that you're no longer welcome among us. But that's so far from what Christ is really saying. First of all, can you recall who it was Jesus spent time with that so upset good Christian folks, or good religious folks rather? Tax collectors, Gentiles, sinners. And in just a few chapters later, Jesus is going to point to them as the example and they're going to say, they're going to get into heaven before you all are. No, Jesus is not telling us that we can cut people out of our lives. Or even if they refuse to repent. No, that does not mean that we just let harm to continue. We cannot ignore those who abuse or oppress or jeopardize the safety or the value of other human beings. We must have clear boundaries. But we must also keep working towards reconciliation, finding better ways to be in community. Not only does Jesus not let us off the hook, what he's actually doing is showing us how far we must be willing to go. Remember, there's a cross on Calvary. Charles Hambrick Stowe says that instead of shunning them, Jesus commands us to never give up, never stop reaching out, Always yearn for grace to restore what has been broken. And it's why Paul writes to the Corinthian church about the body of Christ and says, you can't say to one part of the body, I have no need of you. No, forgiveness is not easy work. But the fruits of grace and forgiveness are so much worth it. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about this passage and she says what I agree with, that there's a troubling part of this story that Jesus seems to put the burden on the victim, on the one person who has been sinned against. And then he seems much less interested in who is right and who is wrong than he is about getting folks back together into community again. And the important thing, she says, the important thing is that, each, that we each listen to one another. But if the doors to communication stay firmly shut, and if no one ever listens, then we cannot pretend that nothing has happened. We are to recognize that one of our members has left because the only thing worse than losing a brother or sister is pretending that you've not lost them. Not letting that person fester in our midst like an untended wound. It's hard advice, but it's advice we know that is right. And it's still hard to follow. She goes on to imagine a fictional scenario where this lesson is put into practice. Maybe it gives us a vision of what this looks like. She imagined a church of about 250 members in a town. And week after week, you sit in the pew next to someone named Joe, whom you get to know rather well. And so well that one day in early September, he asks if he can borrow your push mower. And sure, 
and good Christian cheer. You, you assure Joe that he can use your lawnmower. And he promises to bring it back in a week. But the week passes. And then another week until finally you call Joe and you ask him if you can have your mower back. But he says, well, I loaned it to my neighbor and he backed over it and broke it. And that lawnmower is no more. Well, Joe considers this a piece of bad luck that the two of you have had to endure, but well, you consider that you've been wronged. So the first thing you do is go over to Joe's and, and talk it over with him, and you agree to, well, give me half of what it's worth for the sake of our friendship, but Joe is offended. So can you help it if a guy ran over his, this mower of the truck? I couldn't stop that. And he says those things happen, it's, and it's sorry that it happened, but it doesn't make it my fault. So you go home and you open the church directory and what do you do? You, you ask two people to go with you, right? You go to Joe's and you go to his front porch and you're talking to him and you knock on his door rather and he sees three people there and he's surprised. He gets mad when you tell him why you've come. And you're going to tell him that, you know, we want to turn this over to my insurance. I just need you to, to tell what happened. But he's worried that you're ganging up on him or dragging his name through the mud and talking to other people about this now. So he shuts the doors, tells you to get off his property, and nothing's resolved. In fact, things are now worse. So what do you do next? Well, Jesus says we call the whole church. So that's what he does. So he calls everybody in the church and says, I want you all to start making signs, and you're going to meet me in Joe's yard on Saturday morning. You need to make signs that say, Forget the lawnmower, Joe. We're your friends. Come on out and talk. And on Saturday, everyone's there milling around his front yard, carrying signs and watching the house, and it, it's dark and still inside the house. Nothing happens for 20 minutes, and then you see the slide of a Venetian blind pop down. And you know he can see you, even though you can't see Joe, and you start waving and smiling and telling him to come on outside, and it closes. 20 minutes later, nothing's happened. And, and all of a sudden, you've looked down, then you look back up, and there's Joe on the front porch holding, it looks like maybe a check in his hand. The crowd starts cheering. You and Joe embrace, and everything and everyone lives happy together. Again. The end. Oh, I know. That makes for a great story. Things don't happen like that in life. That's a great hallmark moment, right? But then I began to think, there's going to come a day that I enter this life to come, and there's going to be a cloud of witnesses there to greet me with shouts and welcomes into this eternal life that Christ has promised and that I only obtain through grace and mercy. And in that cloud of witnesses, every one of them has wronged and been wronged themselves. And there's one more face in that crowd, and that's the face of Christ. The one who told us, the one who forgave us all so that we might forgive one another. The one who taught us to pray, may it be on earth today as it is in heaven. Folks, when people speak of the church, may we live in a way that they can only say, now those are people. Those are folks not afraid to reconcile differences they're willing to sit down and with each other and share hard truths and they have a profound yearning to remain and to be one together no matter what 
What a glorious community we've been called to, friends. It is such grace and forgiveness that beckons us to receive holy communion today. Thanks be to God. Amen.